What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it. The sports reporters are assembling. They are all here, all over the country, starting in the northeast of the Daily Beast. Bob Silverman. Bob, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good. You know. Having a good one. Having a good one. Okay. You are you feeling okay, Bob? You feel it, there seems to be something different about you today. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult time, you know, with mm-hmm. what the <laughs> with the global pandemic and everything, and all right, that you know, yeah. just trying to manage things like that and life. Aside from that, I'm good. Yeah. I mean, at least we got positive news this week, right? The vaccine um, stuff that looks promising in the future. Yeah, I'll send you some articles. Not like weird ones, but mm. real ones and stuff. They're depressing. Oh no! Um, about vaccines and <sighs> I'm oh, not. No. This is not an anti-vax thing. Vaccines are good and cool, but uh, the, I'll, whatever. I'll send you some articles. This is not the place for hot vaccine takes. No, <laughs> no. This is a place for hot sports takes. And speaking yeah. of hot sports takes, the guy who is always on twitter.com andrew hammond of the tacoma news tribune up there in the northwest andrew good morning on your end how are you i am doing absolutely fantastic i don't i necessarily don't have hot takes i honestly hate the entire whole hot take genre so maybe that's a hot take i don't mm. know um but i'm doing fantastic and uh yeah i'm not a fan of the of the latest vaccine news once again not an anti-vaxxing thing just a bit yeah, um, I'm not saying that we're spiking the football, but um, please don't do a touchdown dance. It's it's, it's look, it's going to be even if we can get you know seventy percent of the population to take the vaccine, which <laughs> I think that's being generous. I don't think you're going to get seventy. Uh huh. I, I know, and that's going to take a year, regardless if people are going to take it. Um, there are, but there, look again. This has been mutated out of all recognizable uh, forms by the anti-vax community and other people who think that like vaccines cause autism and insane quackery like that. But there are actual side effects to vaccines, that which is why they usually get it takes five years to come up with one at best. And so we're going very fast. And so there are. Let me just say this. They're the speed, which while remarkable and an incredible achievement by the scientific community, which should in no way be downplayed, is still a little worrisome making for people in, say, the Silverman household who read too much. Mm. You might say it's going at warp speed. I might, but um, I'm not a hack, so I didn't. <laughs> Shout out to Dolly Parton, though. Tennessee's own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for putting up a million, Dolly. Dolly Rules is a very awesome Dolly Parton uh, documentary on Netflix, which if people would like to watch something that makes you happy, that that qualifies. 
And she I, also she, she also sang the uh, possibly the greatest uh, side chick anthem of all time, uh, Jolene. It's a <laughs> tremendous song. That is true. Shout out to Dolly Parton. Um, so go do good things. It's good uh, when you have a lot of money. Do good things like Dolly Parton. Um, well, do you ever think about what you would do? Like if you actually like, let's say you you stumbled upon the standard Muppet rich and famous contract, mm-hmm. and we're given more money than you or your children or your children's children could ever spend in their lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Like what actually would you do with it? I'd like to think I would, you know, donate heavily and yeah. to, to, to good and cool things. But, you know, well, here's how I you do it. Here's how you stay predict- true to that. Um, if you, so I have an agreement with my parents where like, if I ever become what I want to be in this sports media field, then like, I I have a cap. I've always told my friends growing up that like what I would want to earn and anything after that is going away. And my parents, my um, mom being an accountant, will handle it and make sure like anything over that number. Did you institute a salary cap for yourself? Is I did. Is that what you yeah. and your family would? Yes. Chase has to pay a luxury tax on his own. I hadn't considered that I'd given myself a salary cap, but um, yes, that is correct. I'm pretty sure Macaulay Culkin did the same thing with his parents, mm-hmm. and we all saw how that worked out. I actually, yeah. many years ago, I was in, I was living in San Francisco for the summer, and Macaulay Culkin and Ted Danson, this was youthful, beloved Macaulay Culkin, and uh, still mid-Cheers Ted Danson. I think Cheers was still on. Yeah, Cheers was still on. And, like, it was early morning, and I was going to class, and they were filming in Golden Gate Park. And every now and then I would like cut through the park on my walk from my apartment to school. And I did so on this day, even though I saw film trucks and cameras, but it was really early, which probably at the time meant like oh, 7.30 or something for me. But um, Macaulay, I saw like Ted Danson sitting there in the park, puffing away on a giant cigar at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> And Ted Danson was like offered me one, and I was like, "No, that's okay." And he's like, "Oh, okay." And he's like, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "Well, you know, just going to class, and you know, stuff like that." And he goes, "Oh, it sounds." We're having an idle chat with Ted Danson. He goes, "What are you doing?" He asked me what I'm doing, and blah 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 blah. And like, and then like Macaulay Culkin walks by and he goes, "Hi, Ted." And Ted Danson says, "Hi, Macaulay." And then he goes, he "Just waves hi to me," and I waved hi back, and then he just sort of toddled on his way. It was quite delightful. That's badass. Um, I actually know the movie. I forgot the, the title of the movie, but I know what movie you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's, it's Ted Danson plays Macaulay Culkin's uh, accidental dad. Or, I don't think it's called Accidental Dad. Um, no, but that's actually very hilarious. Uh, it's The movie is called, it was filmed in 19... Getting Even with Dad, so I'm pretty close. Mm-hmm. I uh I watched Clue and uh, Rear Window last weekend uh, with No Tennessee on right. on Saturday night. Delightful. I Clue is a lot better than I remember. Rear Window is perfect, but it like was a solid, it's great. Solid movie. It's 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 that's a it's a variation on an ancient you know Commedia dell'arte form, mm. which I'm sure you knew. It's the what they refer to as the L'Hotel du Libre Change or the Hotel of Quick Change. Which is that the bit is that people keep running in and out of many, many hotel doors, and wacky hilarity ensues based on who opens what door and what they come out dressed as, and blah 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 blah. Interesting. The wacky hotel is an 
ancient comedic trope. I didn't know that. Playing right well, off that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, can, can, can we just, I, I had this conversation with somebody last year, speaking of the movie, because we were talking about it, and we were like, movies from the 80s that could actually, or that haven't been remade that deserve a remake, I think Clue could work. Um, everybody says, well, what about Knives Out? No, no, no. I want Clue. Because Clue is hilarious, and Clue you could easily do. Yeah, you could do it. You just got to get rid of the whole the extended plot line about Michael McKean being character being gay, which just doesn't hold up. It it doesn't. It doesn't hold up well at all. Although it's very hilarious, it absolutely doesn't hold up well at all. Uh, Speaking of movies that don't hold up well at all, um, I saw the movie. The movie Porky's is on. Amazon Prime, <laughs> my yeah. God! I I remember yeah. watching that movie when I was like nine because my dad was like, "Hey, you want to watch a funny movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And yeah, um, yeah, I I just told him, "Hey, Dad, Porky's is on Amazon Prime," and he just started busting out laughing. That movie is the kind of movie that everyone saw because you knew when it was on HBO, you'd get a chance to see boobs. There are a yeah. lot of they're, they're per frame, like the gratuitous boob shot per frame might be higher in Porky's than any other mainstream American comedy of that time. It's a lot. Like I know like we people, a lot of people compare Porky's to American Pie. After Not watching even. Porky's again, it's American Pie doesn't even hit the surface. No, no. Porky's is quite like sketch. Just yes. disturbing, disturbing ideas, let alone its portrayal of, like, the Central Florida South. <laughs> it's key yes. Porky's, like, not to pull out the old man card, but, like, for all of you, for all of us who were kids without the internet, mm-hmm. like, the movies on HBO that showed boobs were all of our youths, like, more than magazines. R-rated movies on HBO were our way to see nudity when we weren't allowed to or weren't supposed to. So for every, if you prick, prick, prick your standard like forty-year-old guy, and you can ask them what was the first time, what was the first movie you saw boobs in, and they can all pin it down to the exact movie. Like for me, it wasn't Porky's, which for some reason wasn't extensively on HBO. At least I didn't see Porky's until I was like. 13, which was again way too young to watch that movie. <laughs> right. It was, it was like that was not a good age to be exposed to the ideas present in that movie, which are pretty much like an incel writing out his deepest, darkest thoughts and thinking it's a comedy. But like Animal House. Animal House, a, a fun loving ribald comedy was the first one, because they played that on HBO all the time. And they're there are multiple gratuitous nudity scenes in that. I've also yes. never seen Animal House, I don't think. Oh my god, Chase. Animal House is a great movie! It's, okay, there's some problematic parts to Animal House. Very problematic parts. <laughs> there's some very problematic parts to Animal House. Uh, the race jokes don't hold up well. Mm. The, um, <laughs> um, what other jokes don't hold up well? Like, it, the the sexual assault jokes don't hold up well at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It's just never, it was always, you know what it was? Like there were certain movies growing up that I just never watched because my parents just loved them so much that I was just like, because I'm going to be contrarian chase. I just avoided like Caddyshack. I didn't see until like a year ago. I didn't. Tell me you enjoyed Caddyshack. I hated Caddyshack. Awful movie. Awful movie. Just a gigantic waste of my time. I was like, I, I don't like any of this. I was looking at my watch a lot throughout. I, I didn't think it was funny. Have you, have, you, have you ever like done caddying at a golf club or, no. or worked or, or been at any type of like uh, country club? My parents live in one. Oh, God. You no wonder you hated Caddyshack. Wow. Man is siding with Ted Knight. That's a weird. <laughs> I did not do. Can we just call you Spalding now? <laughs> yeah. You'll get nothing in like it, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that someone said this on a different podcast, which I thought was very insightful. They said the Trump administration is like a grim, gritty reboot of Caddyshack, like Caddyshack rewritten as a tragedy. <laughs> that actually works. That, that it really works. does. It really does. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like who Spalding is, though. Fucking every Trump kid. That's who Spalding <laughs> is. I was going to say, like, I, I can't. Even Jared has some Spalding in him. Oh, of course he does. Jared is the Jared is the snooty kid who tries to make it with Lacey Underall, but gets uh, gets uh, fishhooked by Michael McKean instead. Oh yes, so, yeah. Michael McKean, what's his name? Oh, uh, Michael O'Keefe. Yeah. Michael O'Keefe. I, 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 yeah, you're yeah, you got that right. I just love the making of the like hearing stories about uh, the making of the movie all because the, it always it always the, involves three of five things: coke. Yeah. Coke. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray hating each other. Coke and also Ted Knight and um, uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield not being able to turn it off and pissing off yeah, Ted. The best story, which I don't think has been in any of the recent oral histories of E for the anniversary of Caddyshack, is that. When Rodney first showed up on set, he had never acted in a movie before. I'm very sure that is his first movie role. So he shows up, and the first scene that he shot was the scene where they approach Ted Knight on the golf course, and Ted Knight throws the golf club, which eventually breaks the woman's table. That scene, like where, and so Rodney's doing his lines and. You know, doing it, and they're doing a take, and they yell cut, and they go away. And Rodney, Rodney is beside himself because he thinks that he's just terrible and he screwed it up. And he's talking with Chevy Chase, and Chevy's like, "No, what? That was great. What are you? What are you? What are you talking about?" And he goes, "Yeah, but nobody laughed." And Chevy has to be like, "Yeah, they can't, man, or else it screws up the take. If people laugh, then the shot is ruined." And from then on, Rodney was a little bit more relaxed after realizing that. But it took him a while to get into the whole when you're performing, that dead silence is sometimes okay on a movie set. I could actually, here's just as a sideline, here's, here's an anecdote from, the, from one, of, one of the fine motion pictures that I was in. I was in a movie with um, one of the London brothers. I can't remember which one, either Jeremy or Jason London, uh, from. The one from like Pink from from Days and Confused. Oh, uh, Jason London. Okay, I was in the one who was his, I was in I was in the movie with Jeremy London, his twin brother, who was also in in movies, and I had like a tiny part. I had like three lines, and I had to do them. 
And it was like, uh, I was playing an accountant. So, you know, real stretch. Um, and uh, like, we're in there and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my lines. And, you know, the way you do it, it's an, it was a, you know, it's a four person scene. So we're on one side of myself and another banker on one side of the table and uh, Jeremy London and the guy who played Bertier in uh, Remember the Titans is on oh, the yeah, other yeah, side. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of big blonde beefy boy who plays a big blonde beefy boy in a lot of movies. And like we do it like they, they're there. We do the master shot. And then we do, which is just the big wide angle. Let's get coverage of everything in the scene. Then they do the over the shoulder for them, which is the camera is placed behind my, in this case, right shoulder. And it is focused on them, right? And we go through the scene. We do our lines. I say my two lines, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then they go and reset to do the over shoulder for me, which means it's behind uh, Jeremy London and Bertier. And this is one of the first times I was on like anything like in an actual film set. And like, they leave. And I'm sitting there like, what's, what's going on? Why, why are they, I, I need, I need to, it's my turn to have the camera on me now. What's going on here? And they were like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're the stars of the movie. So, so they don't have to do this thing. So they just had like a PA reading their lines with me while I had to pretend I was talking to a London brother in Bertier. And I was very, very angry about this, but couldn't do squat <laughs> about it. I could I had zero pull to be able to be like, get them back in the room. This will take 20 minutes. They can go hit up craft services after. But I'd like to be in the scene with them, please, when it's for my face. Couldn't do squat. They pulled rank and they bailed. That's, wow. uh, that's a little something from, uh, you know, inside the game. For those who want the, the scoop, the NBA oh. draft. The NBA draft. <laughs> Andrew doesn't like doing uh, winners and losers. I found, um, but I think yeah. we, yeah, we, we have to. We have to immediately know who won the NBA draft, who lost the NBA draft. We have to. We have to know. Bob, your team did something very normal. You had a normal night. They had a pretty normal night. They even did something sort of quasi clever to turn picks 27 and 38 into 25 and 33 and then they traded away 33 so it's not bill belichick but you know they didn't do anything egregious it was the knicks it's always baby steps the knicks are the winners because they did not do anything egregiously stupid and Mm -hmm. some smart people like ob Toppin, others don't he's from brooklyn so you know represents and uh, he cried when the ESPN cameras were on him. Um, and well, I think everybody cried, it seemed like. Everyone cried in varying ways because they didn't have to do the awkward walk up to mm-hmm. shake out of Silver's hand saying they were at home and so they could cry. Um, and uh, so that's a good draft. My loser is, of course, the entire production, like aside from the crying kids, and then, like the super spreader events at various draft picks homes, like the the uncanny valley quality to the NBA draft broadcast was very unsettling to me. <laughs> like I don't know why there were so many shots of like Malika Andrews floating in space, sort of in a virtual reality when 
clinging things on the big screen and all the sort of very somber talk without any music in the background. Like you're, if you're going to do the, you know, NFL pregame style, you need the, you need the, 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 the Shannon Sharp kind of banter around it, or else it seems way, way, way too serious for an event like the NBA draft. I, I, I did not enjoy the broadcast. I spent most of the time on the Twitter. I enjoyed the NFL draft a lot more. And also, I think just having uh, Roger Goodell change outfits throughout the draft was very important. I, I getting like Roger Goodell in his man cave yes. was stupid, but enjoyable. Like, Adam Silver in that virtual NBA draft set, that was silly. Yes. Like, adventure and not fun. So, the, so, for me, the NBA and ESPN not coming up with a somewhat different at least idea for how to broadcast this they're the losers to me mm. everyone else wins because they got to live the dream of being a professional basketball player well Those anthony edwards ones. did not live his dream because anthony edwards does not like basketball so he he can't he's really that seems weird mm. people are really into that like anthony edwards pulling out that big did you see that little nugget from the espn profile of him no so basically, he just said that, like, I don't love basketball. I, I just do basketball. And he his heart was in football. And if he could have been an NFL player, an NFL superstar, he would have gone that route. But he's just a lot better at basketball. And he doesn't, like, watch it. He doesn't spend a lot of time watching film. But he's also, like, in the gym super late. And Tom Crean made that point of just being, like, he doesn't really like watching film. But he does spend, like, three to four hours after practice to keep working on his game. So... I, I people really love going after this guy like the whole like it's just a crutch in like sports radio just like he doesn't love it how do we go after a guy who just doesn't love the game he doesn't just ooze basketball he doesn't he's not a basketball lifer it's i like, am i am fine with a player saying like yeah this is not my i'm not like andrew luck didn't really care about football he had other he had other things like he's just good at football but he was into a lot of different stuff aaron Rodgers clearly doesn't like just love football like he's just someone who's interested in all they, kinds of stuff they kill josh rosen for that too, yes for all of this like he seems to have ideas right he doesn't spend enough time only thinking about this one particular thing um michael jordan um, he was pretty good. I don't know if you remember Michael Jordan, but he was an NBA player in the nineties. I never um, never heard of him. Yeah. Well, he loved baseball and he left basketball to go play baseball and try it because that's what he actually loved doing, because that's what his dad loved and he wanted to do he wanted to be great at baseball. That's what he really preferred to be great at. And he wasn't, but he did basketball because he just happened to be the best player of all time. Sad story there. Sounds but like, like a very a compelling story. Yeah. I, I'm sure like I just hate hours this. of documentary footage about it. <laughs> if only, if only. Um, yeah. Andrew, who are your winners and losers? Uh, so first off, I hate the whole winners and losers thing. Mm-hmm. But I will say, and, and, and but I will give my explanation as to why. Uh, it, it feels very because I, I, we've all done this. We've we, we've all done draft winners and losers, it, it, especially in this current climate of the NBA where guys are if you're on a team for more than 3 years after you're drafted I'm not going to lie I'm kind of surprised um I w- I will say that to me it's a maybe 2 to 3 year you know I I I want to see what these draft classes look like in 2 to 3 years uh I I want to see I'm I'm very optimistic on 
on what some teams have done. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's difficult to say. Oh well, you know, it, as long to me, as long as you feel like you've done what you needed to do, and there aren't any, you know, maybe overarching like, oh my God, what what are you doing? Um, I didn't see anything regarding that I, I, because I think you can make a case that teams kind of do that no matter who you have. Uh, but I, I will say that in terms of it looks like and I, we don't know how this draft class is going to go, but I, I will give the teams and the and the players themselves a lot of credit for uh, operating in this, you know, COVID world that that we've been dealing with, because you know, for some of these guys, the last tape that somebody actually had on them was the first week of March, or you know, even earlier than that. So for for a lot of these guys, you know, teams were have been kind of you know doing their due diligence and 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 making sure that okay. If this if this guy is there, you know, no matter if we make a deal or not, you know, we're getting the right guy. So uh, I, I will give all the teams credit for for getting what they feel like they needed, especially during this time, because you know, I mean, free agency starts what in a matter of a few hours, and so we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and give credit to to what the teams have done, and hopefully, hopefully down the road, the, a lot of these picks can uh, pay dividends. Yeah, um, I when I was thinking about like <laughs> just the people who were just like, oh, this I, I I always chuckle at the this guy sucks, this guy's good. Um, I don't really know. I I don't like that the Hawks took a big. I don't. I'm not really worried about the foot stuff. Um, they traded Deadman to follow that up, but like, I don't know. I don't think he can play in crunch time uh, at any point with Capella on the books for the next three years, along with John Collins probably getting extension. So I don't don't really know why you would uh, just go the safe route there. Um, I would have preferred somebody like Killian Hayes who went right after him, or even Denny Avija who just seems like Gallo just ten years ago. Um, I would have liked that. Patrick Williams, Denny, I think, Denny, is... One, Denny of each is, like, feature Hito Turkoglu, but go on. <laughs> Denny of each is not him. Denny of each is bust. There, mm. I said it. There you go. Um, but you'd be all about it if the Knicks had taken him over Obi. I, I, I no, no, I didn't I didn't want him. I was, I was hoping they'd take... At that point in the draft, I was kind of hoping they'd take Halliburton. I was hoping they were going to trade down and get uh, Kira Hayes, who I think is going to be really good, um, or like take all of the Celtics picks and just throw and just get like three first rounders and see what could happen. But that's okay. That, that was my strategy. Um, yeah. But don't worry about that. The guy they, they should, they should, the Hawks should have taken Halliburton. That was the, the pick they should have made. I think he's going to be really good. I would have either gone Halliburton or a wing who could defend another wing who could defend and just think yeah, about that would have been a good pick. Yeah. I just, although, the next good basketball professional basketball player from Florida State is going to be the first one, I think. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, shots fired at uh, Marcus Thornton. Um, or which Thornton yeah. was it? Was it Al Thornton? Who was the Thornton who came? Who was on the Sixers and was just a wing in the NBA? Al like, Thornton. Yeah. 
Al Thornton um, and Chris Singleton. The Chris Singleton, yeah. 2011 NBA draft. Mm. All right. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, I'm not in on what Minnesota's doing. I, I just think building around Edwards, Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and Russell is just going to end up in disaster. Um, I'm very fascinated by uh, Wiseman and Golden State. Now they just traded for Ubre, gave up a 2021 first. Um, horrible news with Clay. Like that just that just really really sucks. Um, but this is the end of Draymond at the five. Like the death lineup is officially over. Like you don't make that decision to go Wiseman unless you're planning on uh, Wiseman being your closing five. So, um, yeah, that's the end of the death lineup. It's gone. R.I.P. Though. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah. Um, Robinson Cano. 162 game suspension. He is now firmly out of the Hall of Fame going forward. Bob, when you saw this, were you deflated? Were you disappointed? What did you think when you saw Robinson Cano suspended for all of next season? You know, uh, it was very weird. It, it, you know, because now that the Mets have been bought by a, a competent evil genius as opposed to an incompetent evil genius. Um, there's a lot of talk that they're just going to start throwing cash free agents and maybe get Francisco Lindor possibly somehow go get in the bidding for DJ LeMahieu or uh, Robin Skinner was fun to watch. I'd like to, like, you know, I, I can't get into all this, like the moralizing of, of, of the steroid era. I feel like we're beyond that collectively, which is kind of nice. And it seems at this point that players are still using performance enhancing substances. They're just for the most part ahead of the testers. So if Robinson Cano got dinged, I only feel, I have a feeling it's just because he wasn't, he didn't work hard enough to get the really good performance enhancing drugs from the right guys, the ones that don't show up. In the test. So eh, it's fine. The Mets will, the Mets are going to mess it. I liked watching Cano. He had a very pretty swing, and I'm sad that that that's probably the end of his time in a Mets jersey, if not Major League Baseball. That seems sad to me. He's good. Smash Mouth, by the way, did come out and say that he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, so that puts him into his, his Hall of Fame candidacy because now that Smash Mouth has weighed in. Mm. We were waiting on Smash Mouth. Um, yeah. That being said, Noted. I am 100 percent here for Robbie Cano on the last year of his deal, uh, playing DH for the Braves for a year. Sign me up. I'm very pro cheater DH guy. At the end of his career, I uh, I'm okay with it. Go win us a ring, Robbie Cano. His swing is just like outside of Griffey. Is there a better swing in baseball in the last 20 years? It's up there. Uh, prettiest swings. His is really pretty. Christian Yelich has a really pretty swing. Um, trying to think, Freddie Freeman. Speaking of your barbs, I don't really, really, I don't really like Freeman's swing. It's just so goddamn effective. It's very effective. That is true. It's not pretty, but effective. Bellinger's swing is pretty. Is yeah, is mm. is, is is pretty wonderful to look at. Bellinger being a guy who is high meme was an amazing development that baseball needed. The- um, last month like that shout out to 
weekly friend of the pod, John Taylor, on those. Those I could never get tired of <laughs> high Cody Bellinger takes. Like those were those were a delight. My favorite thing about that was watching that and I'm like, Yeah, I remember being there. Like high school like high school Andrew who who set the bench on his baseball team, uh completely related to that. It was good times, I'll say that. Last up, something that I'm very, just, uh, very much here for. Like, I think it was Kofi who, uh, on uh, Twitter, who screen capped this, where the announcement of Taysom Hill starting over Jameis Winston this week and the just the meme going around this week of just, like, something that isn't racist but feels racist. And uh, he, quote, tweeted uh, the, the Schefter announcement with that, and that, I, it cracked me up today. Um Andrew, what do you think about Jameis Winston not getting the start and Taysom Hill starting for the New Orleans Saints against my Atlanta Falcons on Sunday? So the Falcons just need to go to eight men in the box. And and, and I'm not kidding and I'm not cracking up, cracking jokes when I say this. Literally go eight, nine in the box every single time until he is proven he can throw the football against the Blitz. Um, it, here's my thing. If you want to put Jameis Winston in, you know, last week, great, fine, go ahead. But to basically take, basically pre-announce, yeah, we're going to go with Taysom Hill uh, unless he literally just, unless his arm falls off, and even then, he's still got another good arm, Um I would be so irate if I were Jameis Winston. And I know Jameis Winston probably doesn't have as much sway for any type of, oh, well, I don't want to come back here next year, trade me. Like, he has none of that. But if he had an ounce of that, I would absolutely use that as leverage to get out. Because, I mean... (sighs) Taysom Hill, from what we've seen on Taysom Hill, the the sparing, what, five to seven plays that you see him under center or or in some facet, I've, I've not seen anything that's like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. And, and the thing is, it's more gratuitous every single time. So, yeah. Atlanta, if you don't put eight or nine in the box every play when Taysom Hill is out there and you lose, you you just just pack it in for the rest of the season. And like, don't pack it in as much as you've done now. Literally, just don't play for the rest of the season. Hmm. Bob, what do you think of Taysom Hill? Uh, I think I saw I saw a stat on Twitter where Taysom Hill has more tackles than touchdown passes at this point <laughs> in his career. I, it's really, really weird to me that 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 Sean Payton is so dead set on making like less creepy Tim Tebow happen. It's it's just not like come on, man. You know everyone knows what Jameis Winston's limitations are as a quarterback. And sure, I guess you can say in this very weird NFL year with limited time for prepare, at least we have a guy starting under center who knows the system and has been on the team for a couple of years. So I guess I can understand the, 
uh, I've been staying up until four in the morning eating tape coach brain logic that led Peyton to make this choice. But it just, it seems like it's so destined to fail. On a pure entertainment spectacle though, and someone who doesn't have any rooting interest in either the Falcons or the Saints, I'm going to tune in and watch. I am very excited to, to, to find out how Taysom Hill does. I will keep the Red Zone channel like primed for any <laughs> Taysom Hill appearances. I will be scouring the internet for like Taysom Hill throwing duck fart type passes type clips. That to me is a good time. So I, I'm, I am supportive of this, if only for the entertainment value. I think he's going to absolutely shit the bed and they'll probably bring in Jameis. I'm going to say early third quarter, they'll pull the plug. Or maybe second half, they'll pull the plug. I, I don't, don't think they'll pull the plug. I, I, I think that Sean Payton, this is his moment. He's going to, he's dug in his heels this long. It, Taysom would have to have at least two to three interceptions before I think Sean Payton even considers the idea. What did they spend on him? They spent 15 million for him to be a gadget player, for him to be, you know, very, very, very poor man's Cordell Stewart for, for a couple of plays again, right? Yeah, it's not it, even it's, good. Like, it, it, if, if he could throw the football and was somewhat of a marginal, you know, marginally decent quarterback, I, I'd be fine with it. But literally every every time he goes in there and they split Breeze out, well, it, if you're going to do Wildcat with a with a quarterback of Taysom Hill's caliber, everybody knows what you're doing. If you're going to split Breeze out wide, it's not like he's going to run a route. Like that that's the thing. That's what I, watching that Saints package pisses me off is that you don't even disguise it. What confuses speaking of disguises, what confuses me even more is why did he feel the need to announce it? Is this an NFL thing where they have to, for gambling purposes, where they have to like list the death chart? And so he didn't have any choice but to, you know, let the cat out of the bag. Is that what, what's going on here? Because That's a good question. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that I, works. I know yeah. sometimes that, that guys will just go ahead and say, okay, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to name a starting quarterback, you know, whenever. But him doing it this early was a bit odd. Um, Oddly, I mean, even Falcons, NFL standards, but yeah, the odd the Falcons are going to have to sort of rework whatever game plan they devised for Jameis within a day, and so that kind of could throw them. I mean, if if Taysom were good, that could throw them for a loop. But I'm, I mean, who knows? Look, maybe Winston just looked awful in practice, and they decided why not? It's better. Like maybe we'll catch a lucky break. Maybe the Falcons will you know, overreact and do what you said and play 10 guys in the box the whole game and they'll be able to catch them by surprise or something like that. I assume it's a gambling thing where they just announced the starters again, you know, for, for, for Vegas. And so that Peyton didn't have a choice about whether or not to name the starters or something like that. I don't think he was like, you know, I don't think he rented out a, a conference room and made sure that everyone like tuned into Zoom so he could hear him say, you know, Peyton Hill is my start. Let Taysom Hill is my starter and get like a chubby while saying it or anything like that. <laughs> well, I know Albert Breer was like, how come Taysom Hill isn't starting? 
Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, well, it was because he was saying that last week when James Hill and everybody and literally like. Do you I'm remember not when he didn't for... believe that uh, Red Sox fans were shouting uh, racist things at Adam Jones a couple years Albert ago? Albert Breer. Because he went to a game God, there. That was his God retort. Was like, God. I went to a game in Boston. Didn't hear anything. Couldn't God be true. bless Albert Breer. Like, it is for... I absolutely loved his work when he was at the NFL Network. But he's one of those guys that once he got the big paycheck and once he once he became the NFL <laughs> mouthpiece. Yeah. That's where all of his credibility absolutely died because he he killed it on the Aaron Hernandez stuff. Like that was like, oh shit, like that was really good stuff, but you know, once he became that NFL mouthpiece and and, and became, you know, the the Peter King lapdog it, like Peter King's actually Albert good. Cares. Like he's still a really good writer. I like reading Peter King. Now, when he <laughs> he still has the all time best sports tweet, I guess outside of Ross Crab Rangoon. Is uh, I told uh, the hostess what was it? He yeah, told yeah, uh, the Robin Williams one. <laughs> oh yeah, no that that was that was absolutely. It was just like Jesus Christ, Peter, you bastard. Uh, my, my favorite my favorite sports writer tweet is from Chris Jones. Mm. Long form, long form stylist Chris Jones, who was writing something about the the bombing at the Boston Marathon, and the tweet is, I gotta get it exactly right, uh, because if not, it'll kill me. Um, and it because it was back when we only had 128 characters, and it's still up. Thank God, love him. And the tweet is from April 15, 2013, and says. Marathon clock looked like it was at 4.09 when the first explosion happened, period. Elites long gone, period. Triers then, period. Big hearts then. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so pretentious. Just elites long gone, triers then, big hearts then. <laughs> and the fucking poetry of it. I love it so much. Uh, do you know what else yeah, i love sorry, matt ryan tweeting out uh before the draft uh atlanta hawks good luck in tonight's nba draft good magic johnson type tweet. yeah like, like he is that. the most magic oh, johnson player of all time i so what was the thing um so somebody i want to say it was it might have been harry lives um had a tweet that was talking about all of the atlanta teams that were, you know, supporting, hey, good luck, Falcons, on the draft or whatever. And the only one who didn't really have that type of tweet was the Braves. And basically everybody from Atlanta was like, yeah, the the Braves would be the one team to do this. And I was just like, oh, that's fun. But no. Um, Here's uh, another classic, classic athlete tweet which you don't get on his account anymore because it's kind of gotten tidied up, but it's from Shaquille O'Neal from 2009. And it's, the tweet is, I'm at Knott's Berry Farm and my butt's too big to fit on in the seats and ride. Ah, in parentheses, that's me yelling. I like it. That like is it. too damn funny. No, I admit, like, I know we talk, people talk about, oh, we missed the Twitter days and all that. Uh, but no, like there was a time where, 
like a a mistake on Twitter, you know, it, it would have been light. It would have been funny. Like people would have laughed. Now, like people take stuff. I, I hate being that guy to say, but like people take way too much stuff seriously on Twitter, and it's hard to enjoy the experience. Like everything is so geared towards sponsors and ads and everything is so I miss like the unclean unkept ways <laughs> of Twitter. Yeah. The, the, if you had like 10 retweets on something, it would really surprise you because nobody was freaking on it. Yeah. Like I got, look, I got on Twitter in 2010 because I wanted, because I would see articles in blogs. You remember blogs, guys. Those were fun. Blogs. I see mm. articles in blogs mentioning that they'd seen this information on Twitter. And I thought, oh, well, that's cool. I guess I should go there and just get it directly myself then. And it was 2010 uh, during the run-up to the LeBron James decision. And I thought, oh, okay, that's how I'll follow this. That was a mistake. That was that. honestly the greatest like summer for sports Twitter because you had that you had a World Cup, you had college football realignment. Like, sports Twitter then was so damn fun. Sports Twitter now is people who kind of – companies have, like, propped people up and kind of parachuted in on the whole thing, and it's just not – it sucks. I swear to it, Nick's Twitter in 2000 – like from 2011 to about 2013, Nick's Twitter was legitimately fun because it was sort of the from the insanity run to the one sort of decent year they had when they made the second round. There were some legitimately fun and weird things happening. Like Jason Concepcion was on it and just being very strange, so much weirder than anything he puts out now, which was great. And, you know, Seth Rosenthal was still blogging about the Knicks and there were a lot of like it being a part of Nick's Twitter then was not just some kind of grim hellscape. I swear to God for all you kids that it was fun. I'm not that I'm not fake newsing you. It was real and it was fun and we lived it. Question. What do you think killed Twitter? Like, what do you think killed sports Twitter? Do you think it's when Twitter, the actual company tried to cash in on the organic feel of how things work because that's what it feels like for me it's like they took all of these kind of sort of unfunny people that had gimmicks on twitter and now basically they're just like corporate well look there are two things that happened one all the reporters started showing up and that that made it bad and i say this as a reporter like like the fact that the most like the media is the most dominant business and like aside from the corporate tweets and all that stuff like journalists taking it over made it really less fun i think when it was just when weird twitter was at its heyday and weird sports twitter was at its heyday it was very it was not seen and, and you're right to a certain degree it was not seen as a vector towards building any kind of a once it became clear that someone could get a job from their funny tweets, it stopped being fun. Yeah, and and here's the thing, and I'm not I'm not trying to come off as a hater or anything like that, but there are some people who who kind of cashed in on that, and I'm just like, con- one congratulations because hey, get your money or whatever. But I'm just like, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't 
that funny. Like, uh, I see some people on here, and I'm just like, yeah, it's not that funny. Or they'll have, like, a certain, you know, that they know their lane, but sometimes they'll stay out of the, they'll step out of their lane, and you're like, oh, that was a stupid take. And you realize yeah, a lot look, of people have a, a lot of stupid takes. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Like, of course, like, I mean, it wasn't like it was a golden age of communication and, and, and intellectual, you know, examination in the early days of Twitter. It was weird and stupid, but all of that was surrounded by a lot of dreck. It's just that nobody cared what happened. So right. all the bad stuff was just like, let's slide. And then, you know, <laughs> once the Nazis started showing up, that made it a lot, a lot less fun. In like a vector for, for harassment that made it a hell of a lot well you know like with a lot of things like the niche early adopters could play around and have fun with the medium because it didn't mean anything and there was no profit and potential profit involved once like it got corrupted to one like saying things on twitter oh everyone was like oh that counts like i i can't just sort of say it was a tweet so you can't pay attention to it yeah that makes fun not to suggest that people shouldn't be held accountable for the things they post because they absolutely should but if you're talking about why it was fun to log on twitter as opposed to doom scrolling that's certainly one reason like yeah like i i, I have personally deleted almost all of my old tweets i have an auto deleter set up because there's really no value in keeping any of it but i don't do that because i think because like there's, it's so easy for some bad faith actor to weaponize something and take it out of context and use it to make either my or someone else's life a living hell. And so why would you possibly keep that information up? Right, right, and, and it's so weird. Like it's it's, and it's it, it cracks me up because you know you you discover things, you learn things via Twitter. Um, you discover you know new music, new genres, and. and there's it's it's so weird because people will try and bring up you know certain things that maybe happen in sports or there's a segment of sports twitter that if it didn't happen in you know after the year 2000 it doesn't count or it's this recency bias that twitter deals with i'm just like it, it it's so it's unbearable at times. And so you're just like, okay, you know, like Twitter going to Twitter. And I'm like, I just, I miss old Twitter when it was actually fun. And, you know, you could, you could tweet one thing and you aren't going to have somebody who goes well, actually in your mentions. Uh, Like it, everybody, you know, wasn't getting checked or, you know, you weren't seeing you know, you could have a tweet and no, if anybody reacted to it, okay, yeah, that's cool. Now it's just like, y'all sound like idiots. <laughs> but other than that, everything's fine with Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, no, like, no, it's no still, other glaring it's issues. Still, it's still very cool when there is an awesome sports one. Like, it was fun to be on Twitter when Kyler Murray threw that Hail Mary last week. Oh, it was hilarious. It was very, that was fun. That was kind of awesome. So yeah, it's still look. I'm not like I'm logging off or anything like that. <laughs> don't get please. Right. Don't get it. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Guys, 
What are your picks this week? What uh, what is the best thing that you read or watched that you would like to share with the listeners? Bob, you first. Animaniacs is back. Wait, what? They're crazy to Max. You the TV show Animaniacs. You, you, what do you mean you it's back? Took my thing. It's back. I don't know They're what that means. Hulu now. They're not making oh. new episodes. You're saying it's available to watch now. It's no, no they're, they're making new episodes. episodes. Oh, I did not know about this. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. And you took Andrew, so I don't know what Andrew's going to do. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I, I mean, hell. Um, the one thing I'm watching for, uh, and, and have been watching the last few weeks, is the potential uh, erosion of both the college football season and the already beginning college basketball season. Um, well, it'll, it'll begin on uh november 25th but there are so many schools that are having to pull out because one player or one or two players or somebody on the staff catches covid so everybody's got to quarantine everybody's got to do all the isolation and all that crap i'm looking at this as we're in the middle of the worst part of the pandemic and as things continue to rise it's it's going to be a very ugly end of november and well into december so um that's what i'm watching for because i think a lot of things are going to change so take a look at the calendar now because it may not be uh as uh as normal i put that in quotations as normal as we all think it will be uh you know hell three four weeks from now Mm. And, and you know, also uh, there's one of the one of the fine NBA beat reporters is just saying that there are rumblings about the Knicks offering uh, Gordon Hayward three years and seventy million. To which I say, I, I welcome for Chandler Parsons onto my team. <laughs> I saw that last. Yeah, I saw that yesterday <laughs> and was busting out laughing like that. Legitimately, Bob. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know. I don't know who said it first. Someone said it on Twitter. I fully admit that I stole their joke. Whoever you are who came up with for Chandler Parsons is the nickname for Gordon Hayward. That's but I love it just as much as you do. I have- Chandler. Oh, wait, here's the thing about that whole Boston thing. Like once, once I saw him, like once Kyrie left, Gordon Hayward was a sitting duck. And then we, when, when people realized, oh, Boston really doesn't need Gordon Hayward. Like in that Miami series, it was like, yeah, it was great that he showed up, but did, did they really? No, no. He's a fifth wheel on that roster. Like Boston, Boston needs a guy who can for 25 minutes a night can do a better job of dealing with Embiid and uh you know Giannis and uh, Anthony Davis I and believe we call any, him Miles Turner Yeah it's like you know aside from the Knicks trying to sign old for Chandler I I really don't know why Indy and Boston aren't working on a on a Miles Chandler Gordon Hayward sign and trade because like a Sabonis chant like for Chandler and um who's their third wing uh, <laughs> and like with Oladipo and Brogdon, that's like a decent squad. That's the squad I can get behind in Indy. 
That's a good team in Indy. And Gordon Hayward seems destined to play for both Boston and Indiana. That's really yeah. his problem. It, 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 it feels like, like he playing for do it Houston, now. Boston, and Indiana. That's like the white guy triple crown. Come on. My pick for this week uh, comes from Will Leach, who wrote this for Medium. I I really, really like this piece that um, he put together on uh, Medium. It's called We Will Never Forget How We All Acted During the Pandemic, talking about uh, Jared and Ivanka already getting stunned, like shunned from the New York socialite scene and the repercussions of joining this administration, working in this administration, becoming politicians, leaving that life behind and them being surprised that they're not being welcomed back and that they're, they're going to have to move. And there's like reports they're moving to Florida and all this stuff. And um, also looking at his neighbors and like knowing too much about people and how they handled the pandemic. Like this is a, as close as we're ever going to get to seeing how people would have people you knew would react in a zombie apocalypse or some sort of, some sort of uh, apocalyptic event and uh, we'll never forget it. So we'll look at certain people of like, oh, I remember when they were reckless or just seeing people, you know, just without masks or seeing people that looked at you weird because you're wearing a mask. Like you'll never forget that about that person. So how we'll remember people will be uh, forever changed. It's a really good piece. I, I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, um, I'm glad you made that point about um, especially in the, you know, in in the second or third surge i don't know um yeah i saw something last night on tv and it was a doctor talking about how if people are going to be traveling during the holiday season how to travel with a mask and possible goggles on and my thing is well this thing started in march and we're still getting how-to lessons on and, and tutorials on to wear a mask we are dumb as hell like 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 if if circling back to the beginning if the vaccine actually turns into like some type of zombie you know mutant type thing we are so unprepared that's all and on that note right as, as that sunny disposition uh ends that's how it has to end that's how we end every podcast is with that um Real quick, as we wrap up, Bob, is there anything you would like to plug uh, before we go? Nothing new this week. Uh, working on some stuff. Hopefully it'll be done soon. But you can always see me on the Twitter machine at Bob Sayeta, S-A-I-E-T-T-A. Do that. Andrew, what about you? I am uh, going to be on a brief holiday vacation next week. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I ain't doing shit. <laughs> uh enjoy enjoy guys thank you as always go check out chasethomaspodcast.com uh go leave us a five-star rating and a review on itunes if you like listening to the sports reporters assembling every single friday uh we'll be back next friday with more sports question mark maybe um we'll see what uh, next week looks like um no texas texas a&m for bob next friday um uh, the day after thanksgiving okay. I, he's He's, he's going to be reeling from another year of no Texas Longhorns versus Texas A&M Aggies, but he will get through it. He'll fight through it. Bob, Andrew, thank you as always. Good sirs, and we will talk next week. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. A guy who just is far more 
concerned with his Twitter clout, with uh, ensuring that the Arizona sports scene gets covered appropriately, even though who is really concerned with that in 2020? Um, it's Derek Montilla. Derek, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for the amazing intro, Chase. I appreciate it greatly. I'm always professional, and I'm always yeah. – I, I like to really make sure that my guests know – that uh, their time will not be wasted, but also that I respect them as human beings. Sure. And we were talking about the potential of your sport teams in Atlanta, too, and how good your Falcons are at losing double-digit leads and me not knowing that the Atlanta Hawks were still a franchise. Ah, we had a lot of talk off-air about uh, f- sports franchises and cities, you jerk. How did the game go last night? I, I fell asleep late. It was uh, it was a late game, so I wasn't able to watch the end. Did the, sure. did the no, Cardinals here, let me come back? In. So they were about to come back. It was about to be another one of those miracle Hail Murray situations. And then Mm. uh, the defenders for the Seahawks committed pass interference, not once, but twice on crucial uh, catches down the field Mm. where screenshots will show you like hands inside of, you know, face masks and stuff like that. But I guess the officials weren't concerned with that. So unfortunately, the Cardinals didn't get the calls to fall their way um, and they lost. But no big deal. They split the series with the Seahawks, who are widely regarded to be one of the best teams in the NFL, and, and the Cardinals are able to hang with them, even though we've lost uh, three of our best defensive players, two of which are on the defensive line for the entire year. And to be honest, expectations weren't this much for the Cardinals. I'll say as someone that's watched them all season long that there aren't games where you watch this team and they dominate the other team. You know, that's the thing for me that's missing uh, before I want to go and declare them Super Bowl champions, uh, as I was telling you in text messages. Mm. I just think that in the wins that I've seen, they've they they've been competitive. And they've been competitive in almost every single game this season, but they, they stayed competitive, they stayed in the game, and they found a way to win. I just I haven't seen them be dominant, you know, like other teams are at times. There's no controlling the game. There's just Kyler Murray doing really impressive athletic things to extend drives and make plays happen. In the case of the game against like the Bills uh, or, you know, a couple weeks ago, another game, they, you know, they, when, when they're not getting the close calls and, and they're not making those little miraculous passes, things don't look as sharp. You know, like there, there's a lot of things going on that that save drives and whatnot. But I will give Seattle credit because they even shorthanded, they did a great job of marching their offense downfield and with the exception of a few defensive stands the cardinals weren't really able to do much so it, it, it was a good game though it's fun and I, I look forward to seeing this team get better in the future at the very least we have a really great fun quarterback that you know might not be the the obviously the biggest uh guy in in on the line or, mm. or in the nfl but uh, it just has this weird unique like factor where he is able to find ways to win, you know, find ways to uh, keep the offense going. Even, even when it looks as bleak as it did with that hail Mary play to Deandre Hopkins, that game was over for me hours before that play happened. So like that just goes to show I'm not a hundred percent confident in what they're doing. I just think that uh, they're, they're at least heading in the right direction. By Ram stock folks. Um, I, I'm doing the NFL playoff simulator a lot i love that espn uh machine and i'm just thinking about who is most likely to come in the nfc i think it's the packers and i'm pretty confident in that but like if it wasn't the packers whose schedule sets up nicely for them to be a number two or number one seed it's the rams 
the Rams are turning the corner, unfortunately, for, for your football team. And I think uh, the Whitworth stuff changes things a little bit. But I'm, uh, I'm buying a lot of Rams stock at the moment, Mr. Yeah. Montia. The, the, the NFC West is a lot of fun to watch. And, and mm-hmm. all the teams in the division are good right now. That is what's that's that is what's interesting. Um, even the 49ers, they're, they're another team that uh, was affected greatly by, by injuries. You know, So it's like they're, they're still good and competitive even with the injuries that they've faced. Uh, the same thing with the Cardinals. Cardinals, they, 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 it doesn't get talked about as often, but their defense has really been decimated. I mean, we, we lost hands down, you know, uh, our, our best defensive linemen. So it, it just, you know, you, you keep having rookies, you keep having other guys, you know, step into those roles and, and step up. Some of them are playing really good. It just still doesn't matter when the Cardinals are the most penalized team in football right now. You know, they have the most penalties of any of any team. I think that's a reflection of the youth and and some of those rookies and some of those inexperienced guys having to step up due to injury. Yeah. And it's, it's it's around the NFL, too. Right. I mean, covid immediately can take one of the best players off of your team for for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that player doesn't even actually have to be injured or showing any symptoms of covid at all. But, you know, it, it could completely can completely change the dynamic of a single game, which to be honest, can, can impact the rest of the season. You know, one game, especially between division rivals can be a big de- deal. Uh, so this, 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 it's kind of like the baseball season where it's just going to be interesting to see how the rest of the year plays out and which team can kind of, you know, last the, through, through all of the injuries and all of the ups and downs. Which naturally brings us to John Moxley, who uh, is going to be a dad. Shout out to him and Renee. Uh, Congrats. I, I like it. I like it. I wanted to ask you, because someone posited this. I think it was Barry Ladd, a uh, friend of the pod. Um, he posited this on Twitter. And I was thinking about it. Now, like, my first reaction to these kind of just kind of seemingly hyperbolic assertions is to just be like, eh, that's a lot of recency bias. Let's pump the brakes there. But, like, he pointed out that, like, John Moxley is probably the best baby face in just a, an X amount of years. And I thought about it and I'm like, he really, I'm trying to think of someone who I just, Daniel Bryan is, I guess the closest in the last 20 years for me is just like the best baby face. And I was too young for a lot of the stone cold rock stuff. So it's like, I, I think there's a case that John Moxley is the best baby face in professional wrestling in my lifetime. Do you, when you think about it and you see that claim, if you were to hear that from somebody, would you resist or would you go, that's probably accurate at this point. I'd put some thought into it and say there's probably uh, some stock in that. There, I think when you think about The Rock and Stone Cold, which obviously are widely regarded as some of the best baby faces that have ever been on televised pro wrestling, uh, they had an edge to them. They were badass. And that's something that they don't seem to know how to balance with baby faces, right? There's just a certain quality. I, I would probably say, like, outside of that, Becky Lynch is probably the only other best baby face that I could say uh, of, of the modern era when, mm. it, when it comes to that. And it's that same reason, right? It's that moment where she, you know, had her nose bloodied and stood in the crowd wearing the SmackDown shirt, just just thriving and living on the, the moment that happened there. You know, I think Moxley has that ability to be likable and, and a baby face, but still this maniac, this wild man that is unpredictable and you don't know what he's going to do. Uh, you, you 
could see him easily taking on like five guys at once, like Stone Cold would do back in the day and still somehow coming out on top. Right. Uh, I, I think that those are qualities that aren't easy to come by. It's just different now. I think that they don't, I don't think anybody treats baby faces and heels the same way. I think all wrestling companies now approach it to a certain degree outside of maybe new Japan that like, Hey, we're going to let you kind of like who you like. And we're going to give these guys funny moments. And we're going to, you know, it's, it's harder for a baby face to stand out. Typically a heel is going to be more fun. A heel is going to be even more likable at times. I, I know WWE does a bad job at giving their heels like evil motivations. They give their heels good motivations that are noble things that you can see yourself also feeling. So it doesn't make you hate these people, right? Uh, that, that all kind of comes into play with the whole baby face heel thing now with professional wrestling for me, uh, going back to your point though, I, I would agree. I, I do think that there, there is a lot of, um, you know, I think of he's those the best qualities. I think he's Mox. the best booked baby face and yeah, like, Daniel Bryan wasn't even that's... booked that well that's like the difference it's like no. Brian just kind of it happened organically but like the Seamus stuff at Wrestlemania like it's a little bit different where he wasn't booked well <laughs> he got over in spite of a lot of just crazy booking like the Wyatt family stuff like there was all kinds of things roadblocks that prevented him from having this miraculous you know, run but like Daniel Mox Bryan... has been booked perfectly from the start like he's just been the perfectly booked baby face for a year and a half. Daniel Bryan went through the classic WWE system of let's try to figure out what your character is, mm -hmm. you know, like the Seamus loss, you know, he was a heel. He was with AJ at the time, like that, that entire, like, what was it? Like three seconds, seven second, mm -hmm. you know, match or whatever. Like that, that's not something I even think of when I think of like the Daniel Bryan, I think of the Daniel Bryan as the WrestleMania 30 build. I think that that was, in, in our lifetimes, one of the best single told stories. I think the problem with it though, is that Daniel Bryan never got to be this king of the mountain in a way, you know, like there should have been some moment that he got, you know, someone said like, he's not a B plus, you know, guy anymore or something like that. You know, like he, he, you know, he won his championship and everything. And then they didn't really know what to do with him except, you know, the yes chance and, and other things. They didn't give him, the run like Mox has right now, like Stone Cold had at one point. There was just these impressive runs with them as championships where they or as champions where they took on all competitors and they'll they'll fight on a moment's notice. They don't care. They're they're just these brawler guys that love to kick ass. Uh, I, I think that's something that's like, again, it, you can try to emulate it, but it's not something that you can actually just make for anybody. Mox has that aura about him. Uh, I think he's, you know, I think he established that before the WWE stuff. I think his time there was still good, even though, you know, he was obviously very uh, disappointed with what they wanted him to do there towards the end with the gas mask stuff and all of that. I think that he knows exactly what his character is and he just needed the freedom to be able to do it. AEW allows everybody to have the freedom to be themselves, you know, and I think that's, where, you know, his, you know, tail has really grown into a legend. The New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, you know, stint and, and his time as, as United States champion is also really cool. 
you know uh and and i can tell you this that in 2021 we will see AEW and new japan pro wrestling working together um quite frequently so well it seems like everybody's going to be working together impacts working with them ring of honor still going to work with some of them it does seem like it's going to be more like it's going to be more like what we thought was going to happen i think initially when AEW was created i think it just needed some time to develop but i think it's going to be a lot more like their direct relationship with ring of honor where they're holding shows together and things like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that next year. Yeah. Um, it'll be exciting. It will be exciting, but uh, the rascals, they uh, had an emotional departure from impact wrestling in the last week. Uh, by all accounts, it seems like they are going to appear in NXT. Um, are you excited to see the rascals in the NXT incubator? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, they're they're tremendously fun guys. I think that WWE is always trying to like look for their next version of like Degeneration X or you know like even what we're talking about the whole Stone Cold Rock stuff. Like that's almost the problem is sometimes they're just looking for that next thing to emulate the success of something that came before it. If the Rascals come over to NXT and are allowed to be themselves then I think they'll be very successful. I think a lot of the, you know, smoking weed references and just kind of being those scoundrels, those degenerates, you know, those, those kind of guys, it's, it's going to be fun. And I think a lot of people will get behind them. Who do you think is the most, who who do you think of the three has the most upside? Ooh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I would probably say, whew, um, it's tough. I think it's Trey Miguel, it but I'm not like, I, I, it's either Miguel I, or Dez, but I don't know which one. I, I go back and I've forth always on thought, it. See, I've always thought it was Desmond Xavier, and and that's mm-hmm. because I've seen them and him and Wentz in PWG as tag team champions, and I, I actually been following him and he's been following me for a long time. So I've always kind of like, um, been very, you know, uh, aware of his career, paid attention to a lot of the stuff he's been doing. Um, I kind of agree with you though. I think the one thing that would hold Des back is, uh, the, the personality. Mm-hmm. I think Trey and Zachary Wentz both have bigger personalities. I think that's something that's going to flourish in WWE, but if they keep them as a trio, then I think the three of them will all have their components. And I think Des will be that, like, you know, the, the guy that's doing incredible moves. I, I think Trey has some really innovative stuff, too. Like, I'm always seeing that guy do stuff that I've, you know, like variations of the 619 and, and moves, you know, from the ropes outside of the ring that I've never seen someone do before. That's really hard in professional wrestling to, to do something that, that people haven't seen before. Um, so I, I, I think it all depends on what WWE wants to do with them. Like they allowed, um, why is his name escaping me right now? Because you know why? Because they fuck, they got rid of his first name altogether. Uh, Matt Riddle mm-hmm. is one of those guys that I was kind of weary of how they would let him be in WWE. And they fully embraced the stoner bro attitude of, of him. I, I think that, there's some allegations out there that they definitely wanted to get out of the like RSO and Google searches, which is why they changed his name just to riddle instead of Matt riddle. Um, but 
I think that uh, he's he's another one of those guys that I think he's going to have a great career in WWE, and I think the Rascals will too. Uh, they 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 already again they're already very um, concrete in who they are as a group and who they are individually in pro, re- pro wrestling. The the one thing I don't want to see happen is I don't want to see that messed with too much. There there's plenty of guys that I've seen in, in like on the indies that don't have a personality. They're just, they're excellent wrestlers. They can do some extraordinary moves and they might even be really charismatic. Like just have that charisma that you, you can't explain or deny, but they still don't have like a personality or a character that would be fun to watch on TV. I I don't think that's the case with the rascals. I think that they are a, a perfect group and, and already are very well aware of what they are. I, um, I'm interested to see what happens here. I also think it's interesting with the the, the relationship stuff because I think Trey McGill is it out there that he's isn't he dating Alicia Toot? MLW. I, yeah, I think he has for a while. Okay, and then you have Wentz, who I think is married to Kimberly, who Impact yes. just signed. Yes, which is interesting. So him leaving and Kimber staying is kind of an interesting development. But um, I don't know. I think it uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they're used. But I also think this was something to me where I was like, this is the kind of depth that NXT really needs. Because we already know the tag team scene across this company right now is just barren. Like, it's just really, really bad. Some of the worst state of the tag team division that we, we've seen in a long time. The Rascals are very good. And at the very least, you would hope that they would give them, they would keep them together and alter their gimmick a little bit. But, um, you know, I would, uh, I would hope that they use them correctly in NXT. And I just, depth is a, a huge thing and it, it, i wonder with impact because they've had some big losses now um after really cleaning up after the uh WWE releases um i don't know i think uh the rascals are good but they're also young like we don't see a lot of young guys getting signed anymore it feels like everyone's 35 and up and uh these guys are all in their mid-20s so i'm excited to see them actually work and develop and see what they can do on a bigger you know what it is? platform it's established. They, mm-hmm. they, they want people that are established now. And the rascals and, aren't at all. Right. Um, I think that they want people that have created a name for themselves. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty well aware of the WWE process from what I've heard from people I know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name names, but like, for instance, there, there's like young wrestlers out there who have signed with impact who were basically told by WWE Go make a name for yourself first on television somewhere. Go to go go to Impact. Go to go to someplace you know New Japan, wherever, and create a name for yourself. And then once that name's been created and people know you, then WWE wants you. You know they're they're not trying to necessarily do what they did years ago, which was create their own monsters in house. Now they see the benefit of having these guys who are already established and popular and and known to the wrestling world to come in and and be a part of the roster rather than somebody that nobody has heard of yet yeah i don't know i think it should just be a blend like i don't think they should have one one way of acquiring talent they should look at some people like hey this is a work in progress what do we believe in let's see what our development can do for this particular wrestler and see what happens and then there's yeah. the ones that are established and you're like oh let's just eat like the ec3 types like we they, they figured something out they're good let's just use them but then again we, we saw that uh now that went yeah right. not uh, yeah but i i think i think you're right though i think they do that i think they do because that's why we see like 
oh, WWE signed these guys I've never heard of. And they also signed this person who does track and field for <laughs> like, you know, some other country's team, Olympic team or something like there's always that in there. It's like John Jofsterston was a strong man and won, you know, strongest competition 20 times and whatever. Right. So like when, when you see like a new class at the performance center, it is a mix of that. I think though, that what they're, they're trying to do at times is fill certain needs. You know, I think bringing young guys over that are very athletic is a priority to them, but I think that they're looking for guys that again, have established themselves. I think I haven't heard this and I could be wrong. This could be the wrong information, but I think Alex Zane might be signing with WWE. I know he finished up his indie career and is basically selling off all of his merch and, and waiting to make an announcement. But I don't believe I've heard anything yet as to whether it's going to be AEW or WWE. I just imagine, um, again, with someone like him, that WWE, he, he, he reminds me very much of the rascals with mm. his athleticism and his youth and, you know, his ability to, I don't know, connect with a, a younger audience. You know, like you said, there is a lot of older guys they're bringing in and, and maybe they're looking for that, you know, that, that youth movement of younger people that can connect. Yeah. It I know Alex be is a tremendous wrestler, so he's, it's going to be, it's going to be great to see him wherever he goes. Absolutely. Um, Darby Allen getting some sting comparisons and he's having to answer questions about this a lot. And for me, I don't know, like I've never, I understand the obvious face paint stuff. And then like him, uh, just kind of, uh, brooding in the crowd, watching Cody and stuff like that, some sting vibes, but like, I don't think it's really stick. I've always gotten more of a Jeff Hardy thing from him. What do yeah. you think? Which one do you? No, a hundred percent. First of all, Sting never surfed. That's something we have established <laughs> and talked about uh, now for a couple of weeks on the Steel Cage. That Sting is a fraud, and he never surfed. You mm. always heard the story. You always heard, you know, that Sting was some surfer, and then he met Hulk Hogan and blah blah blah. Bull. Sting <laughs> never surfed. There is not you. You find me one picture of Sting on a surfboard, and I will publicly call myself a liar. But that picture doesn't exist. Not even him on a surfboard. Not even for promotional shots. I think that Darby Allen, yeah, like you're right. I think the connection is to the crow Sting, the the brooding in the rafters kind of guy. Uh, I've I've definitely always gotten more Jeff Hardy vibes myself from from Darby Allen. I I personally don't really relate him to to anybody i think he's a pretty unique individual and i've never really related him necessarily to someone else i think though that if you talk about like his extreme style and and even kind of the poetic nature in which his promos are delivered either by himself or by someone else i i've i've always gotten the jeff hardy kind of vibe from him for sure i think he's amazing though i think that AEW is really smart to be putting um, you know, this much behind someone like him. He is the type of performer that connects again, like I was saying about the rascals and Alex Zane, he connects with a younger audience. He connects with a different audience. Like mm. I know there's a lot of crossover between goth type kids. I don't know what they're called these days. I know they were goths and then emo and then something else, but chase you know, podcast fans, I believe. Yeah. 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 Those fans. Um, there's a lot of crossover between them and, and pro wrestling. I get it. But I've just seen a different popularity from, you know, from him. I've seen people who aren't wrestling fans who like Darby Allen and, and, and things 
he's just amazing. I, I in fact, I read an article about some, from someone who wasn't a, a wrestling fan at all, who just had to write an article based on their love for Darby Allen, and it was it was spot on. But yeah, it's it's he's just a different kind of cat. Sting, I think Sting made that for for us too, though. I think that's why those connections are there. Sting was just cool and and dark and brooding and and there's that that's i think where there's a common link between the two of them yeah would you like to have seen kurt angle appear at bound for glory and would you like to see him back in impact Mm, i don't know man i think that kurt angle as a gm in wwe was really weird he's a different person he was a a very uncomfortable thing to talk about because like i i was saying that a lot back at the time of just like his promos and his just like he's the way he was walking like there's just he's a different person kurt angle was objectively hilarious and amazing on the mic 10 years ago and just seeing what he is now it's it's just it's not the same lobotomized yes that's a good way of putting it it, you know what i mean it's like he's a zombie kurt angle it's like he's a shell of himself right yet the other day he posted a video where his wife wanted him to Mm be on the ladder, putting the star on the Christmas tree. And she wanted that quintessential uh, picture. She wanted a very homey, fun picture to post probably on her Facebook of Kurt decorating the tree with, you know, the star up on top, maybe a cute little bow on his bald head. But no, what did Kurt Angle do? He went out and put on his Olympic freaking gold wrestler singlet. Mm. The, the one that he wore, the classic <laughs> red, white, blue with the red, white stripes across the middle and the blue singlet. And that's how he got up on the ladder to decorate the Christmas tree and take the picture. And in the background of the video, you hear his wife just bitching at him about his outfit and why he has to be like this. And he's just sitting there smiling at the camera while you can hear his wife in the background actively dragging him on the Internet. And I love this Kurt Angle so much like that. Like that in that little video, that was like what you're saying. It was like, hey, there's old Kurt. He's still in there somewhere. He knows what's funny. That's hilarious. If he had the little tiny cowboy hat on right now, I'd be dying. I'd be howling and rolling around on the floor. Actually, R-O-T-F-L or however you say it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really know. I think that I do at times get tired of seeing older wrestlers that I loved drug out in front of an audience and kind of paraded around. I had a lot of problems with that from the older guys at like comic con and stuff like that at WrestleCon. Um, I had, you know, I, I just, I don't like to see that. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that unless you see them getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. Hacksaw Jim Dugan is somebody for instance, who, when I saw him at like conventions, he loves interacting with fans. He loves taking pictures and doing the thumbs up and yelling, ho, I, that is a man that purely loves his, you know, his time on the top and his fame and the fact that people still love him and appreciate him. And he seems to enjoy doing it. Uh, I, I don't know if I've gotten that out of Kurt when he was like working for WWE. I don't know if I've gotten that out of him in his older years. So if I guess if it makes him happy and he can come out and perform and, and be entertaining, then yes. I, I didn't find him entertaining at all. He he was he he was one step up from the computer as a GM on Raw, you know. So I I, I just I don't know. I, I didn't like seeing him constantly, um, you know, kind of 
uh, had his reputation drug around. I, there was a lot of things I didn't like about his time as the GM. You know, it's kind of like Rey Mysterio now. I am so sick of seeing Rey Mysterio uh, on WWE television, and it's no offense to him. I just don't like these last days of his time on you know major WWE television having his legacy kind of tarnished by by it becoming a platform for his kids to become professional wrestlers. Wait, you didn't love his uh, his barn burner with uh, Baron Corbin? I am not even going to acknowledge that mm. with an answer. Okay. Okay. But I will say that Remember I just... when Dominic Mysterio had momentum and people were excited? I, you know, I, I still think Dominic Mysterio has momentum or, or potential, I should say. Uh, but I'll say that uh, this entire storyline has drug everybody involved with it down. Yeah. And it's well, gone Ronald's on. is about to disappear, thankfully. And, so yeah. with Becky Lynch having... Uh, their child soon it looks as though he's going to take some time off and he'll be able to just get away from all this murphy was the person who had the most to gain and actually like the disciple stuff like murphy is just a dumb name like he he can't just be murphy for like i would have rather just called him the disciple and move on like let's bring back the disciple as a big wcw disciple guy uh it's time to bring it bring it back as a moniker and disciple is just more interesting than uh murphy Murphy. anyway and also he's just an amazing wrestler so i would like to see him be used uh properly and uh he's a great talent um i would i would like it if he started calling himself seth Mm. seth murphy yeah you know i like it why not seth murphy i like it see that's Um, got that's got real psycho (laughs) disciple potential right there i do think dominic's gonna be good um I think Dominic, he's already exceeded expectations at his age and everything, and he's got time on his side. He'll, we know how he'll be treated in the company and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Ray Mysterio is just collecting those checks. He's uh, wrapping up, making sure he's getting uh, he's getting those last little bits uh, of checks. But if you want to watch some good end of career Ray Mysterio, just watch his match with Will Ospreay from a couple years ago. Is it the World there Cup? There you go. Yeah, it was the World Cup. Yeah, that was pretty yeah. awesome. Um, yep. Your guy, Drew McIntyre. My guy. Um, he's back as the WWE champion. I yes. <laughs> oh God. Um, just perplexing stuff here, folks. Um, they they really want you to believe that he is a star. They really do. They the the company they they love they love them some uh, Drew Mac and at this I don't rate, get it. At this rate, he's going to pass Ric Flair in six years for championships, maybe. Wasn't he compared to Ric Flair by someone recently? That's not a good comparison. No, he was compared. I forgot who it was. Because remember that report? It was like they look at Drew McIntyre versus uh, Roman Reigns as like Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, I think. Oh, come on. That is what that I remember that report is something along those lines. And that I was like, so I guess that makes him the Ric Flair in this analogy. Um. I will say Roman Reigns is the best thing going on in WWE right now. Oh, absolutely. And quite possibly professional wrestling. Drew, I think they it almost it almost feels like Randy Orton did something. Right? Like that's almost what this second title reign feels like for Drew. No, it, I think it, it was I, I really think all of it was was they were backed into a corner and they did not want Orton to lose that many times to Drew that they just yeah. had to give him one to prove that yeah. he, like him losing that many big matches to Drew McIntyre, I think just would have been insane and then you can never take him seriously as a world title contender after that but giving him one of those wins i think was all they wanted to do but i don't think they had any plans i also don't think orton wants to be a long-term champion anymore i really don't i think he just wants to do cool stuff have cool feuds but i don't think he wants to carry the company anymore 
Yeah, well, okay. On a, for a couple of things, he probably is going to be getting paid the same regardless. Yes. So he's not like a younger guy that wants that payday of being the champion and kind of get bumped up to that level. I also think that not being a champion allows you to take more time away. And him and his wife are an awesome couple, as they've displayed on Instagram. And I think that they, you know, you, you, you want to <laughs> make that time. I think it's easier to not have that spotlight on you. I also think that there's a small amount of trying to give Randy Orton a little BS championship reigns to bump his number up. I think that deep down inside, based on just what I know about Vincent K. McMahon, I think that he's mad at John Cena. I think he'll always have love for John Cena, and John Cena will always be like a son to him. But I think they've fully decided, like, well, it's not going to be Cena now. It's going to be Randy that that beats Flair's record. I don't and think so. I, I think, think it's still going to be Cena. I don't know, man. I think that there was a time where, and I don't know if you've ever read this story, but there was a time where uh, a, a young, scrappy Hulk Hogan, uh, possibly pre-racist days, I don't know how long his racism goes back, but um, he was going to be in a little film called Rocky. And Vince did not want to let Hulk go be in Rocky. In fact... Vince kind of gave Hulk an uh, ultimatum about going to be in Rocky, that if he was going to go do that, that was going to be the end of his career with WWE. And Hulk Hogan, who begged and pleaded, still went and did it. And it ended up becoming this gigantic star maker of Hulk Hogan and be, you know, shedding all this positive spotlight on the WWE. And of course, Vince welcomed him back after the movie wrapped up with open arms, you know, once it was, once it was a positive thing, right? I think that they're, they're very supportive of people going off and doing movies and having other careers, but deep down inside there, <laughs> there's those weird things of like, well, that's his, his career now, you know, we'll, we'll give it to someone else that stuck by us this whole time. I think he didn't. I, I don't think it was a. Hulk. He didn't stick by him. I really don't. I don't think they have that kind of ill will or animosity. I think no, it's just like if not. he wants just... it, he can have it. Like if John Cena texts Vince today and it's like, "Yeah, I'll come back in the spring. Let me break the record. I'll do a couple Maybe. months." Vince would be like, "All right, Maybe. done." Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I couldn't tell you that. All I know is is that uh, I know John Cena has is as loyal as you can get to a company. Yeah. John Cena will be the first one to tell you that he has no problem paying money royalties to WWE for him to use his own name on a film. Does he do that? Because WWE owns the name John Cena. How do you own which, his legal name? Which, because you sign it over to them. Can you when sign doing, over your name? You can absolutely sign over your own name. Yes, you can. You can. And so now... John Cena needs to pay royalties to WWE every time he appears in a movie and his name is on the movie. Hmm. So when asked about this, John Cena openly said that he has no problem doing this because as far as he is concerned, WWE made him Vince made him in his opinion. He'd still be a pool boy in Tampa if it wasn't for the WWE. So he thinks that all of this fame and all of this is because of them. To a degree, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. You know, it's it's kind of like when you look at this Twitch stuff. As evil and terrible as it makes WWE look, would Paige be one of the biggest Twitch streamers on the planet if it wasn't for the WWE? I, I can't say she would. I'm sure she'd have 
lots and lots of followers and be a famous person or whatever. But would she have that same fame had uh, the rock not made a story about her life? Yeah. I think hers is different. Cause like Selena Vega, I think would have been the same. Like Selena Vega was like making more money than her. Like, I think that was a, that's a different one. I think you're right about Paige. I don't think the same case would be true for Selena. Well, and I just think, I think in general, there's this, like it sucks, right? Because I know that these people all work hard and a lot of their fame and a lot of, the, you know, like Zelina's an amazing talent and she has done a fantastic job at whatever she was asked to do in WWE. But outside of that, she's also a really awesome person, like on social media and stuff. And she does this other stuff on the side that people enjoy. I still think at the end of the day, people need to understand that, you know, when you're going with WWE, they're they're They own you. They own your time. They own your name. They own your likeness. So you're, you're giving up so much to go be a part of that. On the flip side, you're no longer getting paid, you know, 500 bucks a week to, you know, travel across the country and, and put your health on the line every single night for independent wrestling shows. You're now getting paid six figures to a million dollars to, you know, to, to, to be this wrestler on TV. I I think that it's a really, it, there's no way to come out on top, but I, I, my, my thing with what I tell people, like when my guys and I are talking about this stuff in the chat is, you know what you're signing up for when you sign those contracts. The problem is you're so excited to be signing those contracts with WWE that few people go through them with a fine tooth, uh, and fine tooth comb to, you know, find all of those details and, and hash out all of those agreements that they stick in there, you know? I'm sure Twitch isn't mentioned in a lot of contracts, but I bet there's a lot of mention of vague, you know, side businesses or side things that you can't do without WWE knowing about and controlling, you know, and it's probably just good enough language in them for those for WWE to be able to enforce it in their contracts. You know, I don't know. I don't know any of this. Everything I've talked about today is pretty much just speculation. Uh, But I will say that I, I, I think it sucks to be controlled you should just know what you're getting into when you're going with WWE that you are going to be controlled. And that's a tale as old as time. Fair. Fair. Um, last thing, and we'll we'll wrap up here, Mr. Montia. How do you think they book Roman versus Drew at Survivor Series? How do you think they get out of this? Uh, it's not really hard to get out of because you have Roman Reigns now who's not only a physical force, right? Well, neither so can lose, I guess is what I'm saying. Like neither yeah, can no, lose. No, I don't agree with that. I okay. don't agree with that because they've made Roman the exact type of character that can make anybody lose. Right. Roman wasn't beating Jay Uso straight up. Roman beat Jay Uso by giving him a low blow when he kicked out of a pin. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the turning point in that first match. Roman is now this guy who's willing to do anything that it takes to win. Whereas drew still has this nobility. In fact, Drew even has his buddy Sheamus over here pumping him up about who he is and what he is. And I think that's obviously an inevitable rivalry that's going to happen right around the corner. WWE always has to remind you that guys are friends before they turn them on each other, right? So they're laying it on real thick with Sheamus and Drew. I just think Drew has that nobility. He has that, I'm not willing to sink to your level in order to win. Roman doesn't have that anymore. Roman not only has, like all the tools to be the dirtiest player in the game, but he has Paul Heyman at at his side. So there's just too many advantages there for Roman. 
And it's one of those things that, you, you know, like as much as Drew is built up, Roman has all the reasons for him to win. So when, when he does win, you're not going to be left going, man, they like made Drew look really bad. They're, they buried Drew. That's just something that people say now entirely too often. WWE switches gears on a moment's notice. Like a guy that has been losing every single match will now be a champion two weeks later. There's, there's no burying guys anymore. It feels like it's just using people for whatever, you know, storyline they want. A bunch of people are just seen as pawns and they can be used when they want to and whatever, you know, but like with this case, I don't think there's, there's any doubt that they'll go the route of Roman doing underhanded things to win. So there's your out. Okay. So you think Roman's winning? Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think Roman Reigns is going to lose a match for the next like three years. <laughs> I think he's going to win every match. I think he's going to beat the rock at WrestleMania. I think all of that's going to happen. And you know what? I'm mm. here for it. I'm here for it. They've laid the groundwork and the storyline. I'm here for it. You could even bring Cena back to be like, what happened to you? Like yeah. Cena could come back. Oh, with yeah. the, Who is this? Yep. I mean, he could beat everybody. Mm hmm. They, you know, he needs it, to retire like, Edge again. Sure. Why not? Why not? I, I think for me, the thing is, is that both like the spear, the, the history for Roman is there now to completely back up this character. Well, it was also just I, like, what a waste of time we were doing for how many years of Roman? Like before they finally figured out that this was the best sure, case, like sure. the amount of years we wasted. Uh, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And I even think that everything that made Roman a badass in the shield is what he's doing now. Mm. You know, he's he's just this big brooding dude where he had the smaller dudes talking for him. And, you know, he, he was stoic, but he, he he was a man of few words. But when he said stuff, it felt like it carried weight. He was right. like Silent Bob, you know. And so like when he That's spoke the first like, time oh. anyone has ever compared Roman Reigns to Silent Bob. Yeah. I like yeah. it. When, when he talked, it was like, oh, this is a big deal. I want to hear what he has to say. Um, but then, you know, he just, the suffer and succotash stuff and just everything, everywhere they went with that character. Yeah. It's just wild now that that period of time is perfect to back up this character now. I don't know if this character now would be nearly as impressive without that history. So it's like, we had to suffer through that, but now, oh man, we can freely hate him and he could tell us back how much he hates us and then we get a little kick out of it. We all have a good time. I know. You know I, 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 know. I love Roman Reigns. I never thought yeah. I'd ever like Roman Reigns. Yeah, me either. That's what's great. And that's why wrestling is so great. They can literally do something tomorrow to somebody who you've been like, oh man, this guy's getting been getting buried for years and make him to be the next best thing in, in professional wrestling. Sami Zayn is quickly approaching that. And I think the mm. only thing that's going to hold Sami Zayn back is sometimes he goes too far. Like his tweet, uh, I think today or yesterday, about Bobby Lashley talking about that he should change his finisher to the American way because he's just <laughs> going to come in and destroy Sammy's property. And then his <laughs> friends are going to come in and steal a bunch of his stuff. And, oh man, it was incredible. It was an incredible tweet. And so like Sammy right now is hitting a stride that I, I didn't think I would get to see Sammy hit in the WWE. You know, they're just letting him just be himself in such a great way. Here's the quote. He said, I hear that as United States champion, Bobby Lashley is working on a new finishing move called the American way where he sets up a base on my property, destroys my home, has his friends take whatever is left, then says he did it for freedom and makes me out to be the bad guy. Woo. 
I like it. I do too. Dare. But it's great. I love wrestling right now. I love everything except for Raw. Raw is still a train wreck. But yeah, they can't get it back on track, can they? They just don't know how to do good storytelling on Raw. No. Raw is just and, bad and it's unfixable for, for the, the foreseeable future. Draft, I I think they were I, I think with the draft they wanted to steal parts that they thought would be easy and mm-hmm. it's just gonna it's just gonna make those characters boring. Because SmackDown knew what they were doing with with a lot of this stuff, and I don't think Raw does. No. Which is weird because it's the same company, right? It's the same company. I believe it's even the same creative team now. I don't even think they have separate yeah, creative teams. <sighs> oh well. Derek Montilla, what can we check out from you this week on the interwebs? Um, well, of course, there's all of our content on the steelcage.com. We have the main podcast. Uh, we'll be doing the snack podcast, probably coming up a special Thanksgiving episode mm. of the snack podcast. If you haven't had a chance, check out our Halloween episode. We ate like 15 snacks in one night. I think I gave myself diabetes, <laughs> uh, but you know, I do it for the love of the game, the snackology game. So uh, check all that stuff out and yeah, you know, follow me on Twitter. I am at cap underscore caveman with a K. Go do that. Derek, keep up the great work, sir. Thank you for making the time, as thank always, you. my friend. And I wish uh, we will the best for the Atlanta sports scene. Oh, thank you. That felt genuine. And we'll end there. Go go Atlanta. All right. Bye, Derek. Bye. Talk to you later. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.